this evening, I want to do a little bit more of what they call uh, an exegetical sermon to exegete, to extract, and to seek to draw out truths from the passage that we've read. Um, some would just call this Bible teaching or biblical preaching in other ways that uh, it's been said. Our passage begins with the saying, thus says the Lord God. Those of you who grew up in a little more conservative churches or using the King James, you would be accustomed to hearing, thus saith the Lord. And when we hear, thus saith the Lord, you know there's going to be power that's coming through. You know that it's God, not so much the prophet, but God through the prophet. And so the passage begins in Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God. God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. The words we hear are the words of the one who is the word. As Jesus reveals the God self in the Gospel of John. The Logos. It's not so much Ezekiel who is speaking, but God. So I want to pause and invite you to just take a breath together and invite the Holy Spirit to guide us, to reveal to us the word within the word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you reveal your truth to us in your text. We thank you for the prophecies. We thank you for the prophets, and we thank you for your sacred scriptures. We thank you for the spirit that dwells in each of us and all of us together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are layers of meaning in passages. Each of us could read any single verse of the scripture and come away with a different understanding or interpretation of what might be said through that verse, which doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just our own personal encounter. There are various ways to understand a scripture passage. There's a historical and social contextual approach trying to understand the, the historicity, what was happening in the history and the society of the time that would cause such a writing to come forth. There are also spiritual and allegorical interpretations where there are symbolic understandings and other such things. And there may be revelations that are specific to the person meditating upon the text. And these personal revelations may inspire action to participate in movements for social change. A personal encounter with God in the text also has the potential to open space for healing and restoration. May the Spirit minister to us and through us in this time as the Spirit so chooses. After these reflections, there will be a time of silence, and then we'll
go into breakout rooms where you may choose to share your reflections or questions or comments on this passage. Locating this passage historically and socially, Ezekiel is a Hebrew prophet born into a priestly lineage who lived about 600 years before Jesus was born. According to the Bible, Ezekiel and his wife lived during the time of Babylonian captivity. The Bible tells us that they lived specifically on the banks of the Kibar River with other exiles from Judah. It was during this time, five, six hundred years before Jesus was born, when the Judeans were taken from Israel, from Judah, into Babylon, and then began to return after about 80 or 100 years, that they actually got the title, what we would say, Jew or Jewish. And that's because they were coming mostly from the southern kingdom, from the tribe or the kingdom of Judah. Ezekiel knows what it's like to live as a person essentially crushed by systemic oppression. He knows what it feels like to experience grief and loss of everything. Your land, your property, essentially your identity. And he's living in exile with his people, refugees displaced by Babylon. And Ezekiel, this prophet, demonstrates a strong sense of justice for those on the margins and underside of society, those who, like him, have been crushed by empire. Up until this point in Hebrew history, these people were stuck in a pattern where they worshiped the one God one moment and then reverted to worshiping the idols prevalent in the cultures around them in the next moment. It causes us to pause and ask what idols might be sitting upon the throne of our hearts? What do we sometimes find ourselves bowing to other than Jesus, other than the Holy One? Like I shared it, it said that the Babylonian captivity cured the Hebrew people of their idolatry. They did much soul-searching and reflecting while in exile and upon their return to the land from which they came. They were seeking a new identity as a people outside of their place. And God, throughout Ezekiel, calls the Hebrew people to repentance, these Displaced Judeans are reminded of the harm they have caused to themselves and to their worship of God. He takes them to task because they failed to understand certain truths he was trying to communicate to them. For example, the actual sin of Sodom, which Ezekiel tells us this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, excessive food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. 
God through Ezekiel is trying to realign the values and practices, the convictions and witness of a displaced people in the hopes that they will be restored rightly unto God. God is trying to get the people to understand the meaning beneath the words, the story within the story, the word within the word. And so God, through the prophet Ezekiel, tells a rather peculiar story as to how God will bring about this restoration. And so the next verse in Ezekiel, immediately following, thus saith the Lord, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar. I will set it out. I will break off a tender one from the topmost of its young twigs. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. God goes to the top of the cedar tree and he takes a sprig, a, a small stem bearing leaves from atop this cedar tree. God doesn't reveal how God gets there, whether God climbs the tree or flies up or just appears there. But God is at the top of a cedar and breaks a small stem of a specific kind of tree, a cedar tree. The cedar, especially the cedars of Lebanon, were renowned throughout the ancient Mesopotamian world and are referenced throughout the Holy Scriptures. The earliest documented reference of a specific grove, which is called the Forest of the Cedars of God, which are still in existence, although only about, I think it's 17 square acres currently, this earliest documented reference of this grove is found in the Psalms of King David. And other biblical references and references in the ancient epic of Gilgamesh, which was written about 2,000 years before Jesus, provide support to claims of the creation stories, proximity to the cedar forest. And so we see God, who is an arborist, some sort of horticulturalist. And from this sprig, this stem that God has broken from the top of the cedar, God breaks it again. And God takes this tender young shoot that has been broken and broken again. And with God's own hands, plants this shoot into the earth. God essentially gets God's hands dirty. Sometimes there needs to be a breaking or a recognition of brokenness before healing and growth can occur, before there can be change and transformation. God continues. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it in order that it may produce boughs and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. We learn that the mountain is located in 
Palestine, among the place that was called the kingdom of Israel. And this can be understood in one way, clearly is a prophecy of the restoration of the collective people of Judah to the land from which they were taken. In another way, ancient Midrashim, ancient biblical commentators have said that this sapling is also a prophecy of the coming Messiah. It points to the Christ. And it also speaks to the human experience of transformation. Although we may at times suffer, a hope prevails. And it is this promise of another way, a relocation to the place where God would have us, that provides the rich soil for our growth. God relocates us to a place where we might have deep roots and that our branches might grow and that we might flourish. And in this passage from Ezekiel, God continues. Under it, every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. All the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. There is diversity under this tree. There is protection and there is blessing and there is nourishment. As it says in Revelation, every tribe and every nation and every people and every language will be gathered unto God. We see this tree as a type of new tree of life that we can be gathered under. And then we come to the next verse. I bring low the high tree. I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. An important pattern of reversals is established in these verses. The high comes low and the low becomes high. That which was once flourishing and green is now dry. And that which was dry is now flourishing. These role reversals are a theme throughout Holy Scripture. And we especially see this theme in the teachings and prophecies within Jesus' own family. Although Mary didn't write a book, we have her words. Mary, upon learning that she is pregnant with the promised one, sings a prophetic song, often called Mary's song. And she sings, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And James, Jesus' brother, in his sublime epistle, writes, 
believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a flower. God is calling us into newness. God is calling us to have deep roots. God is calling us to recognize where we are broken and that in those spaces we might be made whole by God's love. That there might be healing and growth and maturity and, and a deepening that can only come through entering into that process. We have a Savior for a reason. We are Christians for a reason. Because we know we necessarily can't do it all on our own. That we need healing. That we need a saving. And that it's through Jesus that the person of God welcomes us in. In our, in our brokenness and all. And does not leave us in that way. But instead chooses to get God's hands dirty. To plant us in better soil. And to tend to us. And nourish us as we grow.